You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Abide. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this local church. And we're going to learn a little bit about the relationship that Paul had with this church, as well as the secret to joy and contentment. Because that's really the theme of the book of Philippians, joy and contentment. And the joy and contentment that the church at Philippi can have, and the joy and contentment that the Apostle Paul had, and the joy and contentment that you and I can have in the 21st century today. And we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. But before we get there, uh, you know, one thing you may not realize about me, or you may realize this about me if you've uh, been under my preaching for a while, is I'm a very affectionate person. Right, that's just who I am. I, I'm pretty passionate. And one of the ways I express my love to people is words of affirmation. Right, that's my love language. That's why I always tell you how much I love you. Uh, that's just who I am. That's how I express my love. And I am normally unashamed of that. Normally, I don't care. what Who knows it? I want them to know how much I love them. Uh, but every now and again, uh, when I look back at some of the things I've said, you know, I can get a little embarrassed. Right? I get caught up in the moments, I get caught up in the love, and I just say something. And then I look back later, and I'm like, man, why did you say it like that? That's just weird. You know, I, sometimes I do that, right? I put my foot in my mouth. And this is definitely the case when it comes to old messages and love letters that I wrote to Hannah, right, when we were dating. How many of you have said some pretty embarrassing things to your significant other when you were dating, right? Any, any embarrassing love letters that you sent or anything like that? Well, that was me. That was me. My grandma said I'm the only one. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but that was definitely me. I was madly in love with her, and so I was going to express my love with words of affirmation. And, and the problem with my generation is everything was on social media, right? Everything was direct messaging. So the things that I said to her are still available today that you can look at, which is awful. It's so embarrassing. And in, in preparing for this message, I actually found some old letters and messages that I wrote to her. And this is painful for me to say, but you want to hear a couple of them today? Okay. All right. You're going to lose so much respect for me after you hear me start reading these. But it was puppy love, man. I was madly in love with this woman. All right. The first message was in January of 2017. So we were dating for about six months. Uh, I said, Hannah, you are more than just an answered prayer. You are my love. Aw. <laughs> You are a light and example to the whole world on how great God's love is and what a Proverbs 31 girl should be. I am so blessed to have you. Sweet, right? Little cheesy. I gave you that one to show you that I'm kind of normal because um, the next ones are really weird. Uh, so, yeah. All right. The next one I found was written May 23rd, 2017. All right. I don't even know what I was thinking here. Dear Hannah... It's almost 3.03 a.m., and I wanted to tell you how much I love you. I got up to use the restroom, and you were the first thing on my mind. <laughs> Note to self, kids, don't ever tell your significant other that you're thinking about them while you're using the restroom. Like, what was I thinking? Ugh. You are such an amazing woman, and I can't believe you love me. God must really love me if he gave me someone as tremendous as you. I pray you sleep soundly. You are my superwoman. Woo! I love you. That one's pretty embarrassing, right? 
But this one might be the most annoying. This one just ticks me off when I read it, all right? <laughs> Good night, my beautiful little softball player. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Like, what was I thinking? I can't wait to see you. I just love your personality, your interests, your everything. You are just one amazing woman. I used the word just like so much when I was writing this. Just one amazing woman. You seriously don't understand how perfect you are for me. You are the Nesquik to my bagel, the barnacle to my boat, the Genesis to my revelation, the Freddy to my Freeman, the smile to my day, and the happy to my Ness. I love you, Hannah. It's amazing to me that my wife would still marry me after hearing that. Like, come on, right? But, but the thing was, I was unashamed of my love for her. Right? I loved her so much, and even though it was cheesy, embarrassing, and, and even a little vulnerable, man, I didn't care, right? Because I wanted to show my love for her in the best way I knew how. I wanted to express my love for her. Well, that actually serves as a pretty good segue to the book that we're about to study today. Because the book of Philippians is essentially a love letter. The Apostle Paul is writing this cheesy love letter to the church that he founded in the city of Philippi. And as we read this book, you're going to find out that it's pretty intense, it's affectionate, and it's even a little cheesy and sappy. But the Apostle Paul didn't care. Right? He didn't care because he loved this church with an everlasting love. And I believe this is a good place for us to start this study today. All right? And so we're going to begin by reading the first seven verses of Philippians chapter 1, the greeting that the Apostle Paul says to this church, and we're going to apply it to, to our lives in the 21st century today. All right? So that being said, let's read it. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 1, and seven, 1 through 7. The Bible says, Paul and Timothy... The servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. So the Apostle Paul opens this letter with a borderline obnoxious amount of love. Right? I went over it pretty quickly today, so you might not have been able to catch it. But I counted 14 different expressions of love that the Apostle Paul directed to the local church at Philippi in just those seven verses. 14 different expressions. And that's not to mention the rest of the chapter. The really embarrassing, you know, cheesy stuff is actually later in the chapter that we'll get into next week. But Paul is expressing his love for this church. The church that he founded, the church that he started, the church that he pastored. He loved this church. And honestly, I think it's safe to say that out of all the churches that Paul founded, this one was probably his favorite one. It probably was because if you follow Paul's writings, normally he starts with some pleasantries, right? Normally he begins by saying, grace be unto you and peace, right? The majority of his letters, that's what he said. But never at this magnitude. No, it seems like the Apostle Paul just goes on and on and on talking about his love 
for this church. The book of Philippians really was on a whole nother level. You see, Paul wants this congregation to know just how much he loves them. He's in prison. His situation isn't looking very good, but he still wants this church to know just how much he loved this church. And I just got to say today, just as the Apostle Paul loves the local church at Philippi, man, I love you guys. I can't stress that enough. I love you guys so much. My, my wife and I, we are so blessed to be here. And, um, you know, we've, we've been a part of a lot of churches throughout our life. Um, I've, I've visited a lot of churches, but never like this, never like this. And, and my wife and I talk about that a lot. You just have a special spot in our heart. You're our family, right? And, and we love you so much. And, and honestly, that's the way a church should be, right? Church is a family. Church is a family where we love one another. And, and I'm so happy that that's what this church is. And we love you so much. And that's how we're going to begin our series today looking at the love that, that we can have for our church. All right, we're going to begin our series by looking at why the Apostle Paul loves the church at Philippi, why I love our church, and what the mission of the church should be. To say it this way, we're going to look at this church that Paul loved and see what this church that I love can learn from their love in Philippians chapter number 1. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 7, we are given four reasons why the Apostle Paul loved the Philippian church. All right, we're going to look at those four reasons today, and we'll just get right into it. Number one, Paul loved this church because this church was an unlikely family. That's why Paul loved this church. He's the founder of this church. He started this church, but it was in unlikely circumstances, and it created an unlikely family. All right, look at verse number one of our text. Look at how he begins this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. So right off the bat, there are two words that stick out to me in that verse. We see the word saints, and we see the word or the city Philippi. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, 10 years later, to a successful, thriving, abundant church in the Roman city of Philippi, and he calls them saints, to the saints in Christ Jesus. So we identify the audience right there. These aren't just any church. These are saints, right? The saints in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to clarify what saints are in the Bible. The Bible says that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a saint. And if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm a saint. The Bible makes that very clear today. Hey, you're a saint of God, man, if you know Christ as your Savior. So when you accept Christ, you become a saint. But when you accept Christ, you are also adopted into the royal family of God. Right? You are a son of God. You are a child of God. So the Apostle Paul's audience today is not just the church at Philippi. It's not just saints, but it is his brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you've accepted Christ, you're adopted into the royal family of God. God is your father. If I've accepted Christ, I'm adopted into the royal family of God. God is my father, which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is why the Apostle Paul loved this church. Right? They were one big, happy family. But if Paul were writing this letter 10 years earlier, before the church began, I can assure you that he would not be using the words saints and Philippi in the same sentence. He wouldn't do it because this church was founded in an unlikely place by unlikely people. And the story of the Philippian church plant is actually found in Acts chapter 16. 
And I don't have time to get into that entire chapter today, so we're just going to do a quick summary and, and look at some of the verses in Acts chapter 16. But I encourage you to go back and read the founding of the church at Philippi in the book of Acts. It's really, really cool. But when you study this, you find out that, that this city, the city of Philippi, was an unlikely place to start a church. It was unlikely. It was unheard of, right? Philippi was, was a wicked, pagan, anti-Semitic Roman city. That's what Philippi was. It was the last place you would expect to see a thriving, successful church. No one expected there to become a successful church in Philippi, not even Paul and Silas, who were the founders of this church. Paul and Silas were the ones that founded the church at Philippi, but they didn't even expect to see the great things to occur that happened. We actually read in Acts chapter 16 that Paul never had any plan to ever start a church in this town. Never had one plan to start a church in this town. The story actually begins with them simply following the Great Commission. Remember, the last command that Jesus Christ gave was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were going into all the world and preaching the gospel. They were going from town to town to town. And as they were making their way to the next town, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit started to close some doors and lead them in the other direction. Right? We find out that, that God told them not to go to Asia in verse 6 of Acts 16. Right? First time that happened, they were a little confused. And then the Holy Spirit said not to go to Bithynia in verse 7. Again, a little confusing, right? And once Paul and Silas arrived in the town of Troas, Paul receives a vision. He receives a vision from God. And we see this vision in verses 9 and 10 of Acts chapter 16. All right, look what happens there. The Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia beseeching him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was, was Philippi. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So what happened? It wasn't until Paul received a vision from God that he decided to go to Philippi to start this church. Right? He had never intended of going to this church, starting a church, going to this city. It was the last place Paul expected to be. You want to know something today? I never expected to pastor here at Akron. I never did. I was quoted actually saying, I will never pastor a church in Akron. Did you know that? Somebody contacted me when I was interning at Elk Point, and I just, I just never thought that I would ever come to a small town of Akron. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not going to pastor a church in Akron. No. But the Lord started guiding me in other directions. And over the years, the Lord just started working on my heart, working on my heart. And pretty soon, I couldn't pastor anywhere but Akron. <laughs> and we came, and man, we love it so much. It was an unlikely place for my wife and I, and it was an unlikely place for us to be a part of this church. Right? But God worked. Right? So this was an unlikely place, the city of Philippi, but it was also an unlikely group of people. I actually have with me the charter members of the church at Philippi. All right, the people that founded the church alongside Paul and Silas. I'm going to read them for you today. It's all in Acts chapter 16, all right? We have a pastor who didn't want to go there, the Apostle Paul. We have a traveling sales lady, Lydia the seller of purple, a former fortune teller. She was actually a demon-possessed girl that was healed by Paul and Silas. We have a Philippian jailer, and then we have the Philippian jailer's family. That's the charter members of this awesome church at Philippi. Now think about this, all right? Those people have nothing in common. All right, we have a philosopher, a traveling sales lady, a fortune teller, 
and a Philippian jailer. That's what you have. Nothing in common. You would not expect them to attend church together. You would not expect them to worship together. They were just a motley crew of Philippians. Nevertheless, they were the founding members of this awesome church at Philippi, and, and they played a vital role in making this church great. You see, this church was comprised of unlikely people that had nothing in common except one thing. There was one common denominator that brought this church together. You want to know what it was? It was Jesus Christ. That was it. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They called upon Him. And, and they might not have had anything else in common, but that one thing brought them together and they accomplished great things for God. Right? The one common denominator that we can have is Jesus. Right? And I believe that would categorize Akron FBC. This is how God builds a victorious church. God takes people that have nothing in common and unites them around a commonality in Jesus Christ. Jesus is what brings us together. You know, have you ever met someone that you've never met before, but they have a relationship with Christ, they're saved, and, and you talk with them, and you're just like, hey, like, you get it, right? We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and you just hit it off like that. You ever have that before? Well, that's because the same Holy Spirit that's in you is the same Holy Spirit that's in me. I love experiencing that. Uh, whenever I would preach at churches, you would, you would just have that, and you would click. It was so cool. Um, one of my really good friends, I, I had uh, lunch with him uh, yesterday, and I haven't talked to him for about a year. And we met, we talked for like three hours, and it was like we picked up right where we left off. And you want to know something? We have nothing in common. We're the same age, but uh, he doesn't really care for sports. I love sports. He's a music buff. I don't know music very well. Different likes, different li dislikes, different backgrounds. But, man, he's one of my best friends because we have one common denominator. It's Jesus Christ. And that's all we talked about, man. We talked about Jesus that entire time and the relationship that we can have and, and sharing the gospel. Right? We may have different personalities and backgrounds, but we can come together and focus on Jesus. And this is how God designed it to be. One pastor said it this way. He said, if everyone in your church looks like you, you're doing it wrong. And I would agree with that because it's not about uniformity. No, it's about unity, Right? Right? Unlikely place, unlikely people. And some of the best and most successful churches began in unlikely places with unlikely people. Some of the best churches that I know today, Andrew Browning said it this way. He said, Jesus takes people to unlikely places and then fills that unlikely place with unlikely people. This church was an unlikely family. And that's why Paul loved it. Paul loved the church for that reason. But, but secondly, this church was also a joyful family. This church had joy, man. The joy of the Lord was their strength. Look, look at verse number 3 now. Let's jump on down to verses 3 and 4. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. What do we see there? He says, I thank my God every time I think about you. Every time I reflect on the church at Philippi, man, I thank God for it. I'm praying for you always. And man, when I pray for you, I've got so much joy. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And, and joy is really the theme of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul uses the Greek word for joy and rejoicing 16 times in this short book. This book is only four chapters long. 16 different times he uses the word joy or rejoicing. Joy is the theme of this book. And, and honestly... Joy is the theme of the Philippian church. If you think about it, this church that was established 10 years ago, 
It was founded on joy. Did you know that? It was founded on joy. If we go back to Acts chapter 16, we learn that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. Right? So after they followed the Macedonians' call and they made their way to Philippi, they started witnessing. They started leading people to Jesus. And the Roman city, they didn't like it. So what they did was they threw them into prison. Right? And so Paul and Silas are, are in prison right after they show up at Philippi. But as they were in prison, they didn't get discouraged. They didn't get down. They weren't depressed. They weren't mad. They weren't angry at God. No. The Bible says they rejoiced. The Bible says they had joy. Look at verse number 25 of Acts chapter 16. The Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Can you imagine that? They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to take place, but they're rejoicing and praising God while they are in prison. That's crazy. Talk about true joy, man. Talk about joy of the Lord. Talk about the joy of the Lord being your strength. That's the type of joy that every single one of us have. That fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, that joy that they have is the same joy that we can have. And because they had joy, because they praised the Lord and rejoiced in the worst circumstances, look at the results of verse later. The Bible says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So an earthquake happens, right? All the, the cuffs are, are, are free and, and the Philippian jailer runs in and, and he's about to take his life because the custom in that day is if you allowed the prisoners to escape, you had to take your own life. So he pulled out his sword to take his life, but he looks and all of the prisoners are still there. They didn't leave. Paul said, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And so what the Philippian jailer did, out of mercy and out of love, he fell on his knees and he said to Paul, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he did. And that's how the church at Philippi was founded. It was founded on joy. It was founded on rejoicing. Right? The church is founded on joy. But you fast forward 10 years later, after the joy, after Paul left, and we find out that this church still has joy. This church is still thriving. This church is doing awesome. Probably even better than when Paul left it. This church is killing it, right? And Paul finds himself in a similar situation. This time, though, he's on house arrest in Rome. He's in prison once again. Right? His second imprisonment. Right? But despite his circumstances, once again, Paul has joy. Right? He has the joy of the Lord. That's why he talks about joy again and again and again. He actually says, fulfill me my joy in this letter. Right? He's saying, hey, I've got overflowing joy, but he's in prison. Now, why is that? Right? Why is Paul able to have joy while he's in prison, while he's penning this letter to the church at Philippi? Well, it's because he remembered the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi brought him joy. Look at verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever I remember you. That's verse 3. Verse 4, he says, joy. So when I think about you, when I think about the church, when I remember all of you guys individually, man, it brings me great joy even on my worst circumstances. Whenever he would get down, whenever he would get depressed, whenever he would get discouraged, he would just reflect on that wonderful church at Philippi, which is really cool. And I, I can just imagine Paul in prison just laughing, right? 
and, and just thinking to himself, you know, remember the first time I was in prison? Right? He's penning this letter, and he's like, huh. Remember when, when I was in prison with Silas and, and, and we were just having fun, singing hymns and rejoicing and, and old Bob, the Philippian jailer, said, hey, shut up over there, right? And we just kept praising the Lord and, and then Bob got saved. I wonder how Bob's doing, man. Oh, I miss Bob. Lydia. Oh, I wonder how Lydia's doing. She makes the best cupcakes, right? It brought them such joy. And, and as he's reflecting, he has joy because of this church, the church at Philippi brought him great joy. And, and can I just say today again, our church brings me great joy. And when I think about you guys, I've got such joy. The joy of the Lord. You guys have been so good to us. And, and whenever I think about you, whenever I think about your kids, man, it just brings a smile to my heart. I love you. I love you because you're a joyful family. And that's why Paul loved this church. They were a joyful family. They were an unlikely family. And then number three, this church was a gospel-centered family. Now, gospel-centered is a term I use a lot, right? It's one of the things that I strive this church to be. I strive for this church to be a gospel-centered church. And basically, in a nutshell, that means that everything we do, everything in our service can be traced back to the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what gospel-centered is. Everything in the Bible can be traced back to the good news of Jesus Christ. And everything that we do can be traced back to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we strive to be at this church. Not the negative, not the bad news. You give the bad news, but the bad news always, the good news always trumps the bad news because of Jesus, right? That's the point that we're trying to make. And, and that's really what we see here in the book of Philippians. All right, so let's look at verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. And then he says this. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he says, I thank my God for your fellowship in the gospel. Another word for fellowship would be community, partnership, association, right? And that word fellowship in the Greek, it means to share something in common with another. So Paul was thankful for the church at Philippi because they shared something in common with him. What is that? It was sharing the gospel, right? For your fellowship, for your partnership, for your community, for your association in the gospel. In other words, Paul and the church at Philippi, they were just one big gospel-centered community. They were working together and sharing the gospel. When Paul was there in person, they were working together. And when Paul is 125 miles away in Rome, they were working together together. They were working together sharing the gospel. And at this particular time, he was thanking them for their financial support. We find out in Philippians chapter 4 that the church at Philippi actually was sending Paul support to help him in his ministry. And he's saying, hey, I thank you for that. But I thank you most importantly because you are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this church wasn't content with just sitting idle. They weren't content with just having their group of people and just sitting there until Jesus Christ comes back. That's what a lot of churches do. Right? No, they wanted to go out and witness. They wanted to go out and reach people. They were partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were gospel-centered. And it brought Paul and this church closer. And you want to know something? Some of the most bonding moments a church family can have is when you're united around a cause of sharing the gospel with others. When you just come together and like, hey, how can we reach people with the gospel? Right? How can we share the gospel with this community? Man, it brings you together. It's a great thing. And that's what the 
the Philippian church wanted, right? And, and this mentality is the same mentality that they had from the very beginning, right? In verse 5, it says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So from the first day the church was founded, right away when they were founded, to now they're sharing the gospel, right? They were sharing the gospel all the way in Acts chapter 16. You fast forward 10 years later, they're still passionate and on fire, leading people to Jesus Christ. You want to know something? I know a lot of churches today that start out hot, right? They start out on fire for God. They start out reaching people and and leading people. And then for the next 50, 60, 70 years, they think about the good glory old days. Oh, remember when we had this many people in church? Oh, that was cool. That was a good time, right? But what are you doing now? Church of Philippi never lost that passion. They kept going for God. They kept reaching souls. They made that their number one priority. And Paul is saying here, hey, I love that about you. I love that about you so much. So this church was a gospel-centered church. This church was a joyful church. This church was an unlikely church. And then number four, and I'm done, this church was a victorious church. This church was a victorious family. So, because this church was an unlikely family, they were saints in Christ Jesus. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. Because this church was a joyful family, they brought Paul immense joy 10 years after the fact, right? And because this church was a gospel-centered family, everything went back to the good news of Jesus Christ. This church became incredibly successful. One of the most successful churches in that day, they became victorious. And not just in the beginning, No, they were victorious 10 years later. As this letter is written, 10 years later, this church is still going strong. This church is still kicking. But I wonder if maybe there was some fear of it dying down or that passion going away or or that success, you know, fizzling out. I I wonder if maybe that was in, uh, you know, the Philippian church's minds. I don't know, because sometimes I struggle with that. Right? We're experiencing success in this church, man, and it is so cool. But sometimes I wonder, is it going to last? Not for any reason other than the fact that I'm a fearful little dude. Sometimes I wonder, is it going to last? Are we going to be thriving 10 years from now? Are we going to be thriving 20 years from now? I'm not planning on leaving. Right? Are we going to be thriving 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? Are we going to have a lasting legacy in this community? I wonder that. And sometimes I get scared that it's not going to last. Well, you want to know something really cool? The Apostle Paul addresses this issue in verse number 6 to this church. Look what he says there. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, Hey, I'm confident that the church's success will continue. I'm confident that the church's success will continue to thrive and, and continue to go on. Now, why is that, though, man? I don't know if I have that much confidence. I don't know if I have that much faith. I'm scared, right? Why does Paul have confidence that this church will go on? Well, the same reason that you and I can really have confidence today. And that's the fact that it's God who's at work and not us. Right? It's not us at work. No, it's God working in and through us. It's his work. Right? And that's what he says in verse 6. The Bible says that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's him working in and through us, right? It's God at work, and therefore it's a guaranteed work. He's continuing to work in us, right? He's the reason for our success. 
Jesus said it this way. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's Jesus who will build the church, not us. That's super exciting to think about, right? Jesus promised to build his church and he will accomplish what he set out to do. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus will build and grow his church. But, but I'm left with this question. Whenever I see that, whenever I see that confidence, I, I always have these, these questions in my mind, like, then, then why is the church dying? Right? That's the question that instantly hits me. I, I see churches closing their doors again and again and again. Why are churches dying if God promised to build his church? If God promised success, why is that? Well, the answer is simple, but it's really sad. It's because over the years, those churches stopped following God's design for the local church. They went from God's design to man's design. And in doing so, they made it their church rather than God's church. And God never, ever promised to build man's church. No, God, God didn't say, I will build your church. God didn't say, I will build man's idea of church. No, he said, I will build my church. So if we want our church to be successful, victorious, and to make an eternal impact, we must keep Jesus Christ at the head. We must let Jesus Christ work through us, and we must make Jesus Christ our main priority. It's his church. It's not us. It's him working through us. And that's what the church at Philippi did. They were letting God work in and through them. Right? They were an unlikely family, but man, they accomplished great things for God. And these are the reasons why Paul loved this church at Philippi. These are the reasons why Paul loved this church. They were an unlikely family. They were a joyful family. They were a gospel-centered family. And this church was a victorious family. It wasn't them working. They were letting God work in and through them.